Okay, let me read Psalm 28, and this is from the New American Standard Bible, and uh, it begins, A Psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I call, my rock, do not be deaf to me. For if you are silent to me, I will become like one of those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplication when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Do not drag me away with the wicked and with those who work iniquity, who speak peace to their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Requite them according to their work, according to the evil of their practices. Requite them according to the deeds of their hands. Repay them their recompense, because they do not regard the works of the Lord, nor the deeds of His hands. He will tear them down and not build them up. Blessed be the Lord, because He has heard the voice of my supplication. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart exalts. And with my song I shall thank Him. The Lord is their strength, and He is a saving defense to His anointed. Save your people, and bless your inheritance, and be their shepherd also, and carry them forever. Okay? In the petition part of the psalm, and you can... You can divide this psalm a little differently and make it more complex, but but this is the basic issue here. You notice that it, one of the thing, one of the, the real dividing points of this psalm are verses two and six, because in verse two he says, "Hear the voice of my supplications," but in verse six, "Blessed be the Lord, because He has." heard the voice of my supplication. So one, it's begging God to hear. In the other case, he's praising God because he has heard. And so that's why I think it's a good dividing point. But the language he uses uh, can be a little striking. You know, we would think it to be disrespectful to call upon God and say, do not be deaf to my request. But he is in an urgent situation. We don't know the specifics. You can't tell this from the psalm. But to you, O Lord, I call. And he speaks of God, first of all, in verse 1, as my rock. Now, you remember last week in 27 that... In 27 verse 5, the Bible says that God will lift me up on a rock. There, a rock was viewed as a place to which the Lord brought him. But in both cases, the rock is a place of safety. The rock is a place of security. Whether God is bringing us and setting, on us, setting us on a rock above the troubles of the world, or whether the Lord himself is the rock, in both of these cases, the Lord is our stronghold. To you, O Lord, I call. Do not be deaf to me. Now, this statement is repeated uh, in other psalms or similar words. Look in 3522. 
in 35, Psalm 35, verse 22, You have seen it, O Lord. Do not keep silent. Do not keep silent. But here, do not be deaf. Let me see. If there was a specific statement that said do not be deaf, that was do not be silent. Okay. Second line, first, first, first one? Yeah. Second, uh, of 20, uh, 35, 22? No, sorry. 28, 1. 28, 1. 28, 1. Uh, yes. Oh, yes, yes. I knew that was there, but I was thinking that was a parallel to the don't be deaf. I apologize. But, but that is parallel to don't be silent. And, and he says, if you become silent, if you are silent, if you're deaf to my cry and silent and don't speak and rescue me from the situation, I will be like one of those who go down to the pit. Now, when you get to Psalm 30 and verse 3, he says, O Lord, you have brought my soul up from Sheol. You have kept me alive that I would not go down the pit. So there, there is gratitude that God has not handed him over to the pit. Here in this particular passage, uh, he is begging God, deliver me so that I don't go into the pit. Now, that word pit is a word that is used in Genesis uh, for where Joseph was placed. Uh, in Genesis 37, I believe verse 24 is the first time uh, that you see that expression. It is also a word used for Joseph being cast in the Egyptian dungeon. Not only when his brothers threw him in the pit, but when his uh, when Pharaoh, or when, excuse me, Potiphar put him in the dungeon, it's from the same Hebrew word in both cases. And Joseph being lifted out of the pit is a foreshadowing, as it were, of the resurrection of Jesus. Because the pit is often a synonym in the Old Testament for death. There are many passages that illustrate this, uh, but the passage in the Old Testament that has the most synonyms for death is Psalm 88. Psalm 88. And there in verse 4, I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I have become like a man without strength, forsaken among the dead, like the slain uh, who um, lie in the grave, whom you remember no more. But, But again, that term pit, just a synonym for the grave. And he is begging God, deliver me, rescue me, so that I will not go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications. Uh, let me go back to the first verse just a second. When he says, O Lord, do not be deaf, do not be silent. You know, hear, hear my cry and defend me. Speak on my behalf. When the Lord says this, um, we used the illustration before, but the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18, they are crying out from morning till noon. There's no voice. And there's no answer. 
And Elijah mocks them and they begin to cut themselves and the blood flows and they cry out. And still, there's no voice and there's no answer. And David is begging God, don't be like Baal and those other non-existent gods. Don't be deaf to my cry and don't be silent when I'm begging for help. In verse 2, as we've already stated, hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you for help, when I lift my hands toward your holy sanctuary. And one of the things we tried to look for as we've gone throughout these psalms are vocabulary, a common vocabulary in the psalms. There are a couple of words there that are going to be prominent within the psalm. We're going to come back, Lord willing, to this word lift later when it says you lift up hands toward your holy sanctuary. But, but this word hands is going to be important in the text, this word hands that's used here in verse 2. Here, David is lifting up his hands in praise to God. But just be, be looking for that word hand. We're gonna, we're gonna catch more of it later. But he says in verse 3, do not drag me away with the wicked and with those who work iniquity who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their heart. Requite them according to their work, according to the work, the evil of their practices. Requite them according to the deeds of their hands. Repay them their recompense because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the deeds of His hands. He will tear down and He will not build them up. But he begs God, do not drag me away with the wicked. In 28 verse 3. Do not drag me away with the wicked. Look in chapter 26, Psalm 26, 9. And we saw similar words. Psalm 26, 9. Do not take my soul away along with sinners, nor my life with men of bloodshed. The underlying assumption is there is going to be a day where the wicked will be drug away, where the wicked will be carried away. There is going to come a day of judgment on the wicked, and he is begging that he not be counted among them. You remember how Abraham prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18? And he says, uh, Lord, if there are 50 righteous, would you spare the city? And he said, will you sweep away The righteous with the wicked. And that question, important question, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Here he is begging God, distinguish between me and between those uh, who are wicked. Do not drag me away with the wicked, nor with those who work Iniquity. Now, as far as our vocabulary words, and there are a couple of words that may be translated work or deeds, but this particular word uh, that is used for work in this passage, in 28 verse 3, the text says, those who work 
iniquity. In 28 verse 4, this same particular Hebrew word is used and there it emphasizes requite them according to their word. The idea is that they have done evil deeds and repay them according to their word. In 28 verse 5, the text says, because they did not because they do not regard the works of the Lord. So there are the Lord's works. Things like creation. uh, Things like um, His deliverance of His people from Egypt. or, Or whatever we may think of. God's providence in the world. But because they do not regard the works of the Lord, they work iniquity and they will be judged according to their work. So, so that, that's a key vocabulary word that ties together the section. Did you see the word hands coming back into play in those verses we just read? Uh, four and five. Okay, in verse four, whose hands is it, John? Whose hands? I don't uh, know if you the, say that. I don't know if that was correct grammatically. The, the <laughs> okay, it's the hands of the wicked. In, 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 in verse 2, David is lifting up his hands in praise. In verse 4, it's the hands of the wicked. The wicked will be judged according um, to the deeds of their hands. And then in verse 5, it talks about whose hands? God's hands. The Lord's hands. So, you emphasize... His hands. So you have hands lifted in praise, hands involved in sin, and the Lord's hands which operate uh, our world and which cause things uh, to happen according to providence. Now, I want you to notice particularly how he describes these people who are so evil in verse 3 that he doesn't want to be drug away with them. And he says, they are people who speak peace to their neighbors. And you've heard the word shalom before. This is the word shalom. They speak peace to their neighbors while evil is in their heart. Peace to their neighbors while evil is in their heart. In Psalm 62 and verse 4, the Bible says, They have counseled only to thrust down from His high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. The same kind of idea, isn't it? They speak peace with their neighbors, but evil is in their heart. Or 62.4, they bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. When Jeremiah was describing the wicked of his day, in Jeremiah 9, in verse 8, he said, Their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceit. With his mouth, one speaks peace. To his neighbor, but inwardly he sets an ambush for him. I um I remember hearing this statement years after he was gone, but 
somehow someone came across a Russian document that was written about Ronald Reagan when he was president. And it made this statement. They say, his words and his actions match. Now, shouldn't that be the way it is with all of us? That our words and actions match. And um, I'm not saying whether that's rare or not rare with a politician, but 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 the point you 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 understand the point in 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 what's it like to have someone who speaks kindly to you who stabs you in the back and this is what it's saying this is what the text is saying it said lord don't drag me away with these who work iniquity and just like in many of the psalms the way they do so much evil is what they say what they say. And the text emphasizes that they will be, they will receive the judgment of the Lord. In verse 4, requite them according to their work. Requite them according to their work, according to the evil of their practices. Requite them according to the deeds of their hand. Repay them the recompense. Repay them what they have done. When, what would you call that concept when you say requite them according to the evil of their hands, according to the deeds of their hand? What could that concept? Justice. Justice. Also, what else? Lex talionis. Lex talionis yes, Lex talionis. Um, um, punishment fits the kind is the idea behind that Lex talionis. Yes, and Marie. You're going here, but okay. every verse you're reading takes me back to Uriah. And is that what you're going? To? No, but that's a good illustration. That is a good illustration that David calls up and acts very concerned about him, and um, and yet he sends him back, sends a death sentence by Uriah's hand. Second Samuel 11. So, no, the, I had not thought about that, but that is a very good illustration of that kind of thing. And David is the author of this psalm. And yet sometimes he engaged in it. And so I think like a lot of things we've talked about before, when it talks about those who speak peace to their neighbors but inwardly are plotting their harm, we may be looking in the mirror when we say that more than we would like to admit. And so we always first must make sure that we're walking according to His will. And then we seek to, we seek to help others. But that's a very good thought. I did not have that. I have to, I have to add that, Anne-Marie. I have to add that note. Um, one more thing I wanted to say before we stop after verse 5 and if you've got other thoughts. But this statement, God says, I will tear them down. I will tear them down and not build them up. Tear them down and not build them up. In Malachi 1, um, God says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. And he said that Edom said, we have been beaten down, but we'll return and build the ruins. This is what God says to Edom. 
after Edom says, we'll, we'll return and build, God says, they may build, but I will tear down. Malachi 1 verse 4. God tears down evil men. And here, He will tear them down and not build them up. Any questions you all have on verses 1 through 5? Feel free to ask anything or a comment. That was a good observation in the remakes before. When you look there at verse 5, you know, is tearing them down and not building them up is a direct result of what they do in the early part of the verse. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the deeds of His hands. Yes. So they are getting what they deserve. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, verses 4 and 5. Verse 4, I don't know if it could say it more strongly, but yes, exactly. They don't regard His works, and He won't regard theirs. So, yes, very good. Very good. This comes back to the point that David was not destroyed in the same way these people would be because of God's mercy. Absolutely. And, of course, we'll see that in Psalm 51, Lord willing. But you're right. God's mercy to him was great. God's grace, God's mercy is great. Even the Old Testament. You know, and uh, the statement that made in John 1.17, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth by Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean there's no grace and mercy in the Old Testament, but it just means as great as that display of God's mercy in the Old Testament, it is trumped by God's display of mercy in Christ because that is the preeminent display. Mike and then we have Elder Cook. Yes. yes. Um, I, would, I don't know if we we're going to call this an imprecatory psalm, but it has certain elements of imprecation. Yes, it does. This is such a good example of a godly man looking at imprecation in a way it doesn't talk about any ills or wrongs these people are doing to him but it seems that because it's in verse 5 it's because they're not regarding the works of the Lord if our interest is so much into what God and his works are that should offend us just as much as if someone's coming at us personally oh yes yes I think you're right that you do see and the idea of imprecatory is the idea of calling a curse down upon another but, you know, nowhere, as one writer said that I was looking at on this verse, and I'm glad that you said that because I was going to overlook it. But one writer said, never do you find biblical people praying that they might have the strength to take vengeance on their enemy. They are taking their problem to God and letting God deal with it in His time and in His way. And that is a lot of trust. I mean, that's not... Personal, there's a difference between that and personal vengeance where you go out and you do it in your time and your way in taking the request to God. That will be a subject that we will tackle full-blown, Lord willing, in Psalm 35. And even those Psalms, we can see Jesus in the, in, in the background. So that's very good. Yes. Yeah, I just think, I just think it's a cool idea looking at the idea of the hands, right? We talk about the hands of the wicked are constantly doing bad, right? And the hands of the Lord are always reaching down. And I think that idea is really cool that the works of our hands, right, lead us to grasp onto God's hands, which are always reaching down to us. Yes. And, and it's and it's by our willingness and constancy of, of reaching up with that praise, right, that, yes. that we're able to grasp 
the, and see the, the works of his hands. Yes. And it was when David stopped praising God and, and stopped yes. looking towards those works that he himself started doing the works of the wicked and, and turning his mind away. That's right. That's right. But yes, if our hands are lifted in praise, whether literally or figuratively, right. you know, that doesn't free our hands to be involved in wickedness and sin. So that's right. Very good. Did you say you were going to talk more about that word lift? Yes, no. yes, I am. But, 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 you know, I'm glad that anticipation's building for But it's, 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 it's not, it's going to be a little bit lighter. But yes, I haven't forgotten that. Okay. Um, verses six through nine. Uh, blessed be the Lord. Now, in verse, um, Okay, it, it, that, the term blessed will be used again in verse 9. Blessed be the Lord because he has heard the voice of my supplication. Now, as we talked about in this petition section, he says, Lord, you know, hear my supplication. And in here in verse 6, he said, the Lord has heard. The Lord has heard. So now it's not just a matter of request that God does hear. He has heard His prayer. And, and there are three Hebrew words that are used together here. That are used together here in verse 2 and used together here in verse 6. Uh, but, but, you know, the word here is in a little different. It's an imperative in verse 2 to hear my prayer. But in verse uh, 6, it is a perfect that God has heard my prayer. And so, but, but what I'm saying is it brings out the same thing you can see in the English is that there's a clear connection between these texts. And we said last week that Psalm 27 was a little different because it moved from praise to petition. This is the normal order of Psalm, Psalm 28 is the, is the normal order of most Psalms, which moves from petition to praise. And But he speaks of what the Lord is to him. In verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exalts and with my song I shall thank him. The Lord is their strength and he is a saving defense to his anointed. But God is my strength. And my shield. Uh, the, the, we've sang before the song, uh, You, O Lord, are the shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. Those words are from Psalm 3, verse 3. And so in Psalm 3, 3, we saw that idea, You, O Lord, are a shield about me. And that is an expression that's used uh, other times, Psalm 7, verse 10, My shield is with God. He saves the upright in heart. God is our shield. God is our strength. I want to tell you, um, when, I was, when I was younger, you know, I was thinking about the deep things of Scripture, and I thought about the deep things of Scripture as being some complex argument that, that answers some kind of a doctrinal problem. I realize more and more that the deepest things in Scripture are statements like this. That God is my strength. And God is my shield. 
I don't know if we'll ever be able to plumb the depths of the meaning of those things. To just realize how profound those truths are. He is my strength. He is my shield. And my heart trusts in Him. And um, with my song, I'll thank Him. This has been a purely individual prayer till we get to verse 8. But then it says the Lord is their strength. So He's not just my strength, but He is their strength. He is a strength for all of of His people. And He is, in verse 8, a saving defense to His anointed. And those words, saving defense, these two words used together, are, are not used together like this anywhere else in the Old Testament. Now, both of them individually are used, but not together like this. He's the saving defense. Your other translations have something different here. One says saving strength. Saving strength. What else does, does they have? Refuge. Refuge. Of strength or saving refuge. Some could have refuge of deliverance. And all those expressions are are attempts to translate a difficult phrase that is used nowhere else. It says, and in verse 9, save your people and bless your inheritance and be their shepherd and carry them forever. Okay. Now, Looking at the word bless. The word bless is one of these words that's used twice in the psalm. In verse 6, bless the Lord. This is from God to man. Excuse me. This is from man to God. This was from man to God as man is expressing his statements of worship. Bless the Lord in verse 9, the term bless. It says, save your people and bless your inheritance. And here the word bless talks about a blessing from God to man. He lifts up his voice in praise to God who has heard his prayer. And now he is asking God to have mercy upon him and to bless your inheritance. To bless your inheritance. Um, it says, be their shepherd and carry them forever. Be their shepherd and carry them. A shepherd has a hundred sheep, loses one. He goes out and searches for that one. And he finds it and he carries it back to the flock. That image is used not only here, But it's used a few other places in the Old Testament. Look at Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 verse 11. The context of Isaiah 40 is there is a prophecy about the return from Babylonian captivity. And listen to how God is described. Psalm 40 verse 11. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. And in his arms, he will gather his lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing lambs. Psalm 4, uh, Isaiah. Did I say Psalm? You did. I'm sorry. 
After Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah. 40, verse 11. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going back and forth. <laughs> I apologize. That's Isaiah 40, verse 11. Um, and I, I apologize for that. But, um, uh, but these three passages are in Isaiah. If I tell you any difference, just keep turning to Isaiah. Okay? But Isaiah 63, verse 9. Isaiah 63, verse 9. The Bible says, In their affliction he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy he redeemed them and lifted them and carried them all the days of old. So we've looked at Isaiah 63 9, Isaiah 40, verse 11. The other passage I was going to look at with you was Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46. Now, this, the whole context of Isaiah 40 through 48 is fascinating as it's a contrast between the Lord and idols. But in Isaiah 46, verse 1, Baal has bowed down, Nebo stoops over. These were Babylonian gods. And they are gods who stoop over and bow down. And look at verse 2. They could not rescue the burden, but they themselves have gone into captivity. What God is saying is, is uh, after Babylonian captivity, Babylon themselves will go into captivity and their gods will not be able to save them. Okay, look at verse, verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. You have been born by me from birth. You have been carried from the womb. Even to your old, to your old age, I shall be the same. And even to your graying years, I shall bear you. I have done it. And I shall carry you. And I shall bear you. And I shall deliver you. So there, God is carrying His people. God is lifting His people, carrying His people, bearing His people. Look at verse 7. Verse 7. Now again, this is talking about the idols of the nations. Notice in verse 6, they lavish gold from the purse. They weigh silver on the scale. In verse 7, they lift it up. They lift it up on the shoulder and carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It does not move from its place. Though one may cry to it, it cannot answer. It cannot deliver him from his distress. I want to tell you that for our purposes, the the point I'm making in contrast, Isaiah 46 is talking about a contrast between the Lord, the Lord who carries His people, and the gods of the Babylonians who must be carried by them. They have to be carried around by their people. They're not able to hold the people up. But our God carries us and sustains us and strengthens us. Now, at long last, John, this is our work. The word carry is the same word, same Hebrew word translated lift in verse 2. Now, in verse 2, David was lifting up his hands 
to God. As David lifted up his hands toward the holy sanctuary, but now in verse 9, the same word is used. And just like we see in verse 6, where you have man to God, verse 2 was man to God, he's lifting up his hands to God. But in verse 9, it is God who is lifting up and carrying His people. He is being their shepherd and sustaining them and holding them up. I know many of you have seen that that old, and it's it's old, but still powerful. The, the footprints picture and a person is looking over their life and he says there's two sets of footprints, but here in the most difficult sets of life, that, that there's only one set of footprints. He's asking the Lord and, and accusing the Lord basically, saying, Lord, you, you left me at those times. And the Lord says, no. That set of footprints is me carrying you. The Lord carries us. He sustains us. And He holds us up. The Lord is not called shepherd often in the Psalms. He's called that in 23 that we know. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You see it in Psalm 80, but you don't see that term used often. But this is one of them. And as a shepherd, just like Isaiah 40 verse 11 says, He carries His sheep. In his arms. Uh, The inheritance most frequently is used in the Old Testament. God's inheritance is God's people. Uh, That's the the way the phrase is used. Sometimes it's used of the land. But it's usually used of his people. Bless your inheritance. Right now, do you have a question on 6-9 or a comment on 6-9? Anything? I like all the repeated um, use of the my, my yes. supplication, my yes. strength, my shield, my heart, and then I am helped, I will thank Him. It's very personal. Absolutely, yes. And everything is very personal to verse 7 and 8. And still there's some of that in, in, in 8. Um, in eight and nine, but uh, but also, but everything is very individual to that point. As he talks about his his own relationship with the Lord. Okay, as we close, we try to emphasize how we see Jesus in a particular psalm, and here in Psalm twenty-eight. Where do you see Jesus in this psalm? Well, first of all, let me tell you one place you ought to see it. Uh, what's let me? Do, well, I'll ask instead of I told you I was going to ask. I've spoken enough. <laughs> one word, one word should always give it away that there's some kind of connection with Christ. What would that be? Shepherd. Okay, that is true. <laughs> but, but that's true. But the term I'm thinking of right now is the term in verse eight, anointed. Okay, anointed. Uh, because that is from the Hebrew term from which we get the word Messiah and the Greek term Christ. Now, though in the Old Testament, the anointed is usually dealing with the king. 
in this case, I think that is the situation, that he is the king. The Lord is their strength. He is the saving defense of his anointed. But, but any time the Bible mentions the anointed, it, it somehow that God's ultimate anointed one is, is the king. Now, since both of you said something else, and it is true... Uh, about Jesus as the good shepherd. And we talked about that from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And of course the classic New Testament passage on that is John chapter 10 verses 1 through 18. And there he is the good shepherd and he lays down his life for the sheep. I I really find one contrast there just so striking. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. The the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. You know what happens right after that? Right after Jesus talks with being the good shepherd. John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He comes that we might have life. Everyone is proclaiming what Jesus has done in raising Lazarus from the dead. And so the religious leaders want to kill him in John chapter 12. Just read the Gospel of John. It's a dangerous thing to be healed by Jesus. If you're healed by Jesus in the Gospel of John, you are a target. You see it in John 5, you see it in John 9, you see that in John 11 and 12 with Lazarus. But the point is, the religious leaders are the thieves who come to steal, kill, and destroy. They want to kill Lazarus. Because many on account of Lazarus are believing in Jesus. Jesus comes to give life. But Jesus is the good, the good shepherd. The good shepherd who carries us in his arms. What else do you see though? What else do you think about? Think about this. Jesus was dragged away with the wicked. I didn't look up the word dragged in the Greek translation to see if it's a word used to talk about the cross. But I don't know that making this point is dependent upon that. That's why I didn't look it up. Because you look at the fact that Jesus was crucified between two criminals in Matthew 27, verse 38, in Mark 15, verse 27. I can remember hearing the sermon after I had first become a Christian in the 70s that Robert Jackson had preached about the cross of Christ. And he, he talked about if we could choose the time of our death, if we could choose the how to die, we would want to be surrounded by the people that we love the most. And he didn't get that privilege. He is crucified between two criminals and they are continually taunting him and mocking him. He was dragged away with the wicked. But... The Bible tells us that he poured out 
loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save him. And he was heard. Hebrews 5, 7. Now that's interesting. He was heard. David praises God because his prayer was heard. But Jesus' prayer was heard not in the sense that he was delivered from dying, but in the sense that he was raised from the dead. He has heard the voice of my supplication. One of the reasons, too, that the king is mentioned so frequently in these prayers is because the way it was in the ancient world, if the king did well, all the people did well. And God's blessing on the king was, was in a sense filtered to all the people. If the king won in battle, you know, all the people shared in that. And isn't it true? God has blessed us in in the I know David has been David and Craig have been teaching Ephesians um, and the statements in Ephesians one three, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And just as when the king did well, all the people were blessed, so we are all blessed in Jesus the King. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So those are just some ways in which this psalm points to, to Jesus. Am I missing something? You know, if you verse one, the rock. He is. He is a rock. Yes. Yes, you do see that. And since it's verse one, I got to put it up here at the top. But rock, um, and you see that in First Peter two, he is the stone the builders rejected, but some have made the chief cornerstone. What First Peter two does, it ties together several Old Testament passages about rocks. And it applies them to Jesus. It uses Psalm, I quoted Psalm 118, verse 22. It uses Isaiah, I think it uses Isaiah 8, verse 14. A stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. It's Isaiah 28, verse 16. And um, Jesus is the rock. Also, Jesus is the rock is in Matthew 7. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them is like one who builds his house on the rock. Seems. Uh, and uh, the one who hears them and doesn't do them is like one who builds his house on the sand. So, the good point. Good point. Anything else, Phil? Almost kind of a contrast. You, you talked about him being dragged away with the wicked. Yes. And then David, in his request, requite them according to their works. Well, Jesus kind of on the opposite says, yes. forgive them for they That's don't know what point. they do. And then verse 5, because they do not regard the works of the Lord, kind of kind of the same idea is they, they don't understand what they're doing. Okay, That's, that is a good point. So verses 4 and 5 tie 
to Jesus' prayer. Even though the, I think it's legitimate for David to pray this, it isn't. That isn't the prayer of Christ. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They're not regarding, they're not seeing God's work. And as a result, they're crucifying Him. Very good point. I'll have to add those things to my notes, people. Now, Brad told me that he did leave a song with us. And I am not going to leave this thing, but I will try to hand this out. If you all want to... Um, I looked at it. You did? Okay, we're good. We'll.